So we're, we're entering into a new series. Um, if you want, if you have a Bible, um, you can o- open it up to the book of Nehemiah. I'll let you try and find that. And um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in one of the chairs in front of you. Maybe, maybe not. They're kind of put all over the place. But what we're talking about, the name of the series is called Under Construction. And, and here's, here's the thing I know about all of us. All of our lives right now, whether you're the pastor of the church or you just are visiting for the first time, your life is under construction. God is working out some things in your lives. And maybe some of you, there's like a lot of things. When uh, about six years ago, Lisa and I started out um, on an addition on our house. And there was a time when we were missing the outside wall of our house and we were all sleeping in the living room together. Is on, a, on, on mattresses that we've put together because we were going through a massive deal. And some of our lives look like that. It feels like we're sleeping on a mattress in our living room because our lives are in such disrepair because God's doing something big. Other people uh, here, it's maybe God's just doing some little things. I mean, maybe you're real close to where God has you and you're just trying to figure out, man, why do I have this anxiety problem? Or why do I have this? Or how come my marriage isn't quite the way it's supposed to be? And so... We're all under construction in in one way or the other because God has got a vision for your life. God has got a plan for your life. God has ordained a, a, a picture of what you should look like. He has a picture of, of what your marriage should look like. He's got a picture of what your kids should look like. And just a reminder to everybody here, it's Family Sunday, and so sometimes it gets loud, and sometimes there's distractions. It's okay. It's perfectly appropriate. It's Family Sunday. So uh, sometimes kids, of course, when I was a kid, I, I never acted up like that, but that was just me. I'm a special kid. Now, right, see, we, we've all got these things in our lives that we're working out, uh, things that, and, and even if you're not, a Christian, let's say. Maybe you don't even believe in God. And you've just come here this morning and you're trying to figure out, you know, maybe I'll try the Bible out. I can almost guarantee there's something in you that knows it should be a little bit different. There's something in you that says, man, I, you know, my life should be better than it is. It should be different than it is. That's the Spirit of God trying to uh, push you towards His vision for your life. And so you decided to come to church and just say, look, I, I wonder if what this has to do with it. We're all under construction. All our lives are under construction. And so what we're going to talk about this morning is a construction project that took place in ancient Israel by a man named Nehemiah. And so in 445 BC, this man, Nehemiah, had a vision for what was happening in Israel. Just to kind of give you a little bit of history, that's not, I'm not trying to bore anybody, but um, Israel, God had a vision for Israel. Israel was supposed to be God's chosen people, and God provided a land for them, and, and, and in the Bible it uses kind of this, this poetic imagery saying a land flowing with milk and honey. But in reality, it's just a prosperous land with a prosperous people who serve a prosperous God. And so, and, and, and God kept saying to them, look, you follow my commandments. If you, if you go along this vision that I have for your life, things are going to go well. When you get away from that vision and you start to follow your own vision for your life, things are going to go poorly. And that's what happened. They started serving other gods. They started intermarrying and like, mixing in all their tradition with other uh, religious traditions and some real nasty stuff. Too. And so God had to chastise them. 
And so what God did was he had the Babylonians go take them away from their land. And this happened on three separate occasions. So three different times, uh, the Persians came, bam, they took them away. On three separate occasions, they started coming back. And this was the third occasion. And it was in 445 B.C. And what happened was those Israelites came back to Israel and it was a mess. It was a total mess. The walls around the city of Jerusalem were all torn down. The gates, they have these massive gates that everyone would go through, and each gate has a name, and we'll get through this over the next six weeks. But uh, those gates were burned, and so they were, just, they, were under, uh, they were being occupied. I mean, it was just a nasty situation. And this is where we find Nehemiah. Because, see, God had a different vision for Israel. And let me tell you, God may have a different vision for your life than what you're living right now. And what God so desperately wants to do is connect you with the vision he has for your life so that you would adopt his vision. I want to read a couple of verses that are just phenomenal verses in the Bible. If we were to just kind of meditate on these during the week and really begin to understand it, it would rock your world spiritually. They're very simple verses. One is in Jeremiah. And it says this. It's an unbelievable concept. It says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Now this isn't just the I knew about you, you know. Uh, I know Kip. Yeah, how's he doing? Ah, he's doing fine. He goes to church here. Yeah, where has he been the last couple of weeks? I don't know. You know, I just picked Kip. Uh, anywhere, but, right, so it's not that type of, no, he knew you, he knows everything about you, he knows what your weaknesses are, he knows what gets you mad, he knows what makes you happy, he knows what you're struggling with right now, before you were knit in your mother's womb, he had a vision for your life, a a place he wanted it to end up, fascinating, fascinating verse, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. It means I set you apart. You are mine. And then it goes on to the part of the verse that just has to do with Nehemiah. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. And so you see this general thing that applies to all of us. Before we were knit in the mother's womb, he knew you. And then we get to Jeremiah's personal vision. I have appointed you a prophet among the nations. Now, the same thing happens in our lives. God knows us. He knew us before we were born. And now, we get to, if this verse were written instead of Jeremiah, if it were written in the book of John, well, there is a book of John, the book of Sally, okay, it would say, I knew you when you were knit in your mother's womb. I've consecrated you, and now I've appointed you to, and that's his vision for your life. Another section of scripture, and this has to do with, you know, it's what makes me so excited about, about Family Sunday. For you kids who are young, think about this. Maybe you're four or five years old. Little boy, little girl, whatever. God knows you. And he has a plan for you when you become a young woman or a young man of God. A vision for your life. It goes on in Ephesians to say this. Just incredible. For we are his workmanship, which means he crafted us. He he, he put every part in its place some of us have different parts that we wish weren't there i wish i had more hair on my head not on my arms just you know so we 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 might disagree with how he did it right but he did it for we are his workmanship 
created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now listen, this is the most important thing. Which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God has this vision for you. He set things out in front of you. And if you're four years old, he's got things at six years old planned out for you. If you're six years old, he's got things at eight years old planned out for you, a vision. If you're in your teens and you're just trying to figure out high school, he's got some things planned out for you for college. He's got some things planned for you for your retirement. Maybe you're just retired and you're going, I don't know what to do. God has a vision for that retirement. Maybe you've just entered college and you're like, man, I, this is, I don't even know what major to pick. God's got a vision for that. Maybe you're dating. You're trying to figure out who your spouse is going to be. God has a vision for that. Here's the point I want to make this morning. We'll get into it a little bit uh, as we move forward. But, and this is on your outline, and you can fill in these blanks, okay? And I heard it from another pastor, and I stole it because it was so awesome. What God originates, he orchestrates. What God originates, he orchestrates. God created you. He formed you, you. You originated in something, and now he's going to try to orchestrate your life to end up in the vision that he has for it. What God originates, he orchestrates. You are not here by accident. What ends up happening is our sin and things that separate us from God and our own idea of what a vision for our life competes with God's vision, and we end up getting stranded. And abandoned because we're wait, God's waiting for us to match our vision with His. So I'm, I want to talk about two things this morning, uh, just kind of two ways, and then uh, this is the introductory sermon, and then in the next five weeks we'll really delve into to what this means. The, the, the first way to kind of adopt this vision from God is to understand our position, to understand our position, where we are right now. And this happened to Nehemiah. And I'll read it in just a second. But, see, if I were to invite you all over to my house, my wife would freak out. But then after that, if I invited you all to my house and you called me on the phone, you'd say, how do I get to your house? And what is the question I would be forced to ask you? Yeah, where, where are you? Where are you coming from? Because I could say to you, oh, go up Valley View and make a left on Orangewood. That's how you get to my house if you're traveling north. If you're traveling south and you go down, you go Valley View and you make a left, you're going the opposite direction. And this is often what happens to us. We won't admit to God where we are now. And so we look at the directions and we think we can figure it out and we end up going the opposite way. Let me read real quick what happened to Nehemiah. So what happens is Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king. We'll get into that in a little bit. But he's, he's writing this and he says this. In the month of Kislev, which is just a cool month. I, we, I don't know why we don't have it now, but we should. January, February, March, Kislev. Uh, in the 20th year, while I was at the citadel of Susa, uh, Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. So here's what happened. He's sitting there, he's doing his job, minding his own business, and his brothers, one of his brothers comes with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. Remember, they'd come back to Jerusalem. And also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. 
The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned by fire. Now listen to what Nehemiah does. When I heard these things, I sat down. You ever get news that's so bad, you have to sit down? Where you just hear it and go, ah. Oh. And you sit down because it feels like you've just been punched in the gut. This is what happened to Nehemiah. I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. See, Nehemiah embraced where he was right then. He's sitting in Persia. He loves Israel. He loves Jerusalem. He understands God's vision for that. And when he gets the news, he doesn't just go, oh, it's probably not that bad. No, it'll be okay. They'll, they'll fix it. God will do something. No, he feels the full impact of where he is in the situation right now. And if we want to begin to embrace our relationship with God and get to his vision, we have got to sit and go, you know what? I have an anger problem. You know what? My marriage stinks. You know what? I hate the school I'm in. You know what? We have to be honest with ourselves and say, I have an addiction. I, so, that, so that God can begin to say, good, you see where you are now. One of the other things that happened in Nehemiah, if you go to the next one here, I don't have it in mind. He says, we've sinned against you, and my father's house have sinned. He says, I know the reason Jerusalem's all messed up. We've sinned. We're sinners. We deserve it. And some of us are in the situation we're in now because we, we went after a vision that looked good, and it was pleasurable for the moment, and now we're here, and we go, man, God, I'm a sinner. I've blown it. It is so important that we get to that spot if we're going to know how to navigate from it. Because here's what happens. Let's say this is God's vision for me. And I'm here. And I go, well, you know, God, you know, you know I love you. You know, everything's going pretty good. I'm doing all right. I'm here and I want to get closer to you. If I'm back here and I think, and I start moving, I'm going to get discouraged because I, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm just going to get close to God real quick. And God goes, oh, no, this is going to be a journey. And so when we take reality and we begin to say, look, this is where I really am, then we can begin to go, okay, this is going to be a long process. It's vitally important that we understand our position. And so Nehemiah goes, man, I've sinned. We've blown it. And then he says another thing. I love this verse right here. Now, I was the cupbearer to the king. In other words, I was a really long distance away from where the problem was. I really don't have the resources or the position or the power or the influence to do anything about this. This is where I'm at. I'm mourning. I know what God's vision is for Israel. I don't, I, there's nothing I can do. I'm a cupbearer to the king. And so he understands his position. Now, oftentimes what happens when we understand our position, we get frustrated and we want to change our circumstances. Oh, if my wife wasn't that way, if my husband wasn't that way, if I had different kids, if I had a better job. Listen, your circumstances right now are part of the vision. Your, where you are, your starting point is part of the vision. We can't just say, I wish I was at another school. I wish I had different friends. If this were to happen, I would. Reality is the best place to be. And so oftentimes we don't want to, we don't, we don't want those circumstances. We want, we'd rather just have a different marriage. We'd rather just have different kids. But God says, no, you're starting in reality right now. You are the cupbearer to the king. There's nothing you can do about it. I know you wish you were governor, but right now this is where I have you. 
And so we can't miss that point. We, 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 we have to do that. You know, you know what happens? We, we try to out-vision God before we're ready. And we, we, we want to be, we, we, we care about what we're going to be rather than who we're going to be. For the kids who are in here, I'll bet you have an aunt or an uncle or somebody or a schoolmate or teacher or whatever that comes up to you and says, what do you want to be when you grow up? And then what they're expecting is a good answer, like a pastor or something <laughs> really good. No, right? They're expecting astronaut. They're expecting teacher. They're expecting, you know, policeman, fireman, all that kind of stuff. And here's what happens. We have a whole society that cares about what you are going to be, what I'm going to What do you do for a living? What are you is essentially what we're asking. And so what happens is you get somebody like a professional basketball player, a professional football player, and their whole life, what do you want to be? I want to be a professional football player. I want to be a professional football player. I want to be a professional basketball player. And everyone goes, great, great, go do it. And they resource, they resource. And they, they've never asked themselves the question, not what do I want to be, but who do I want to be? And so you give somebody who knows what they want to be $20 million, and they've never decided who they want to be. Did you know in the NFL, 80, I just read this, I just read this yesterday, 80% of NFL players are bankrupt two years after they leave the NFL. Why? They knew what they wanted to be, but they didn't know who they wanted to be. In the NBA, it's, a, it's better. It's 60% five years after they've, they've uh, left. They're bankrupt. So way to go, Kobe. Okay? So... <laughs> I don't think he's going bankrupt anytime soon. But uh, because why? Because they knew what they wanted to be, but they didn't know who they wanted to be. And so what God cares about most is who you are, not what you do. He wanted to see Nehemiah say, we have sinned, we've blown it, and I'm a cupbearer to the king. Who cares about that? That's irrelevant. So whether you're a trash man or a fireman or whatever, God doesn't care what you do. He cares who you are. And that's part of understanding our position with God. Here's the way David said it. He said this. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Now listen, do you think God needed permission to search David's heart? Do you think God was sitting there going, ooh, ooh, I wonder what's inside David's heart. I can't wait till he asks me. And then David says, Okay, here you go. Oh, oh, wow, okay, you got the Bathsheba thing. Didn't know about that. Oh, my good gracious, right? You think he, or do you think he already knew David's heart, right? Do you think when, 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 when God walks into the garden after Adam and Eve sinned and ate the fruit and did all this kind of stuff and got the knowledge of good and evil, when he walked in and he said, Adam, where are you? Do you think he was like, no, I'm serious, Adam. I don't know where you are. You know, tell me. I swear, I'm going to listen. I'm going to find out, you know. No, I mean, you think Adam's there? He's got holding Eve's mouth. Right? Right? Probably. But the point was, (laughs) okay, the point was God already knew. So when David says, search me, O God, and know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts, do you think it's for God or for David? It's for David. See, David's saying, God, I want to know where I am. Show me, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And then he goes on and he goes, and see if there's any offensive way in me. Why? And lead me from that point. 
into the everlasting way. In other words, search me, test me, show me the things about myself even I don't know. Show me my position on the GPS so that I can get the vision that you have for me and get there from here. The second thing, after we know our position, is we understand God's perfection. We understand God's perfection. See, the wall was torn down, the gates were burned, uh, Nehemiah's the, the cupbearer to the king. What is he going to do? Well, he can't do anything, but a perfect God can. And so what does he do? He says this. He said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. He understands there's a perfect God, a, a Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. And he says, God, here I am. This is my position. The only way I'm going to get there is through your perfection. You've got to give me, you've got, my vision has to align with yours. And he goes on and he says, they are your servants. These are the people of Israel who are all messed up. These are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. Listen, the what in your life what God wants you to be, what, what God, where he wants you to go, what, all this kind of stuff, is always going to come first. So see, I, I can already tell you God wants you to have a healthy marriage. He does. That's the what. That's the vision. I can tell you he wants to have a family that, that supports and loves one another and builds each other up. That's the vision. But how? That's left up to God. See, what always precedes how? I'll give you an example. Peter was talking to Jesus, and Jesus is trying to get, there's this glimpse of a vision for the kingdom that these disciples have. And Jesus is starting to figure out that they're starting to get it, that it's about the kingdom, that the kingdom is coming, but he understands they don't quite get it. They still want to stab people and, uh, and, and kill them. And God's like, that's not quite where we're going with the whole kingdom thing. So he begins to ask him a question. He says, who, who do people say that I am? What, what's your vision? What's their vision? Who do they say that I am? What, what are they thinking about this whole idea of the kingdom and, my, and me and this, this whole idea of why I'm here? And so they say, well, some call you uh, Elijah, the prophet. Uh, some call you some other prophets. And some, you know, they, they don't know, you know. And then Jesus asked Peter this question. He says, Peter, how does your vision with me line up with my vision? Who do you say that I am? What are you thinking about? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And P Jesus goes, man, you're vi our visions are almost right there. Now, he knew that there was still some stuff to work out. But watch what he says to, uh, to Peter. He says this. He gives him the what before he gives him the how. He says, I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He says, Peter, guess what? I've got an unbelievable vision for your life. But right now, I'm not going to tell you how. I'm going to give you the what before I give you the how. But listen, God is the God of how. 
See, once we understand our position, and we understand our sinfulness, we understand how we've blown it, we've understand, we understand God's vision, now God is in charge of orchestrating how this is going to take place. And as we go through the book of Nehemiah in the next five weeks, we're going to see just what God, just the intricacies of what God does to make, Nehemiah, to make God's visions and Nehemiah's vision match up. So you might be sitting there and going, God has a plan for a healthy marriage? There's no way. God's the God of how. You don't have to think of how. You just have to go, okay, I'm here, and I'm supposed to get there, and I just, I, I'm, I'm going to do whatever I can with the time and talents and resources that you've given me. But God, you are going to have to figure it out. And here's, here's the thing I always love saying, and I think I stole this from another pastor too, because when I read it, it was awesome. With God's greatness and your uniqueness, meaning your position in life, your, the way he's shaped you with your spiritual gifts and your... Um, uh, your abilities and your personality and your experiences. With God's greatness and your uniqueness, you can live the vision that he has for you. But if you just take you, it's not going to work. And if you just take God, he's going to sit there waiting for you. But with his greatness and your uniqueness, with your position and his perfection, it can work out. He is the God of how. He can do it. It's amazing. Oftentimes, we're, we're in a holding pattern. We know the vision, we understand it, but, but we're in this holding pattern because either other people are holding us back or whatever. I, I, went, uh, I went, last week I was on vacation and I, I went to go play golf and my best friend and I, we, every year we do the exact same thing. We go to Palm Springs when it's 110 degrees and we play golf because it's cheap and nobody's there. And so we can a lot of time, most of the time, Go out together, just the two of us. And then no one gets to watch me play golf, which is awesome, uh, except for him. But he loves me unconditionally. So, um, so we, were, we were going out. I was super excited about it because school was over, and I could just go and play golf. I didn't have to worry about anything. Pastor Carlos had everything on the sermon, uh, service done. I was just, ah, oh, it was awesome. So we get there, and I go, and I, I get my, we get our tea time. And while I'm leaving, I watch somebody go up to the counter and he goes hey can I go out with those guys and I'm like no <laughs> hey how you doing buddy right because even though I'm a pastor I was on vacation okay and so I wasn't a pastor there okay I'm just a man all right and I wanted to be with my friend I wanted to play golf horribly without anyone watching so uh so we get there, and I'm like, I take my, ba my, my bags, and we put them in the cart, and I'm just like, you know, peeling out, right? Like, right when we take off, I hear the Lord say to me, you're an idiot. <laughs> and I think those were the words he was using. I'm not quite sure. Um, and so I said to my friend, I said, hey, he goes, I know. You know he, he, it's, like, it's like the Lord broadcast, hello, you in the you know, golf cart. We have you surrounded, right? And so, so I'm just like, you know, God's, God's ordained this. You know, and he's like, yeah, I know. So we, we, we're, we're at the driving range, and the guy comes up and says, hey, can I play golf with you? And I'm just like, yes. Uh, so, right, because I'm still not happy, even in obedience. And so uh, we get out there, and we get about two holes uh, into it. 
And he starts talking about his life and he starts talking about his kids and how they're good Christians and all this kind of stuff. And, um, and um, so we, we're talking and, and uh, he says, you know, two years ago, uh, two weeks ago, I gave my life to Jesus. And I'm like, I am so lame, <laughs> right? This is why he's here. And he began to tell a story. And you know what his story was? It was about 20 years of marriage with a wife who'd been on her knees for him. 20 years of her in a holding pattern, knowing the vision that God has for her marriage and being stuck waiting. Listen, waiting time is not wasted time. God may have you in a place and you're going, man, I know, but if my, I, I know he wants me here, but my finances, I know he wants me here, but my marriage, and God says, I know, I know, but if you just allow my greatness and your uniqueness to work in this, when, that, when we break through that, we'll break through with so much momentum, nothing is gonna stop you because I have a vision for your life. And so what happened was he, his brother had died and he just said, I just said, God, I don't know what to do. Show me something. And he opened his Bible Oh, you ever heard these stories, but they happen. He opened his Bible, and he looks down, and it says, take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he said, I'm turning my life over to Jesus. And for the past two weeks, he said, my life has never been the same. And you know what? I'll bet his wife's life has never been the same because now there's breakthrough, and that vision is, being, is coming to pass. As the worship team returns, I just want to tell one other story. Uh, it's found in the book of Matthew. <clears throat> and it's this idea that God first gives you what, then how. And that God is the God of how. And whatever he originates, he orchestrates. And so as I'm talking to you guys, there might be some, something birthing in you, a vision for your home, a vision for your school, a vision for your friends or your work or your neighborhood or whatever, a vision for a personal victory in overcoming an addiction or whatever. God's originating that. He's giving you the what. And now together with his greatness and your uniqueness, you're going to figure out how. This is what happened to the disciples they get, uh, they're in a desolate place, and um, uh, they, they, they get there, and it, Jesus is preaching. He, he probably went on too long like me, and so he's going on, and, and it's getting late, and Peter decides he's going to assess the situation. He wants to know exactly where we are. He knows the vision. He wants to know where we are, so he says to Jesus, it's getting late. There's a lot of people, and they're going to get hungry. You're going to have to let them go, Okay? And Jesus says this. He gives them the what before the how. He says, you give them something to eat. And Peter goes, okay. Hey, everybody, all 5,000 of you, have two fish, you know, divided amongst yourselves in equal portions. He says, we've only got two fish and five loaves. And here's the thing. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew where they were. He knew they had no resources. He knew they couldn't do anything about it. He also knew that if he had even let them all go, they wouldn't have been able to have time to get something to eat. And so he says some of the most amazing words Jesus can ever say to you, and he's telling you this this morning. He says, bring them to me. He says, take what you have. I gave you the what. You feed them. But I'm not going to tell you the how. You just bring them to me, and I'll take care of the rest. And so this morning, as we begin to 
enter into a slower time of worship, God may begin to speak to you about the, ha- about the what. He might say, you know what? Full-time ministry is in your future. Or I want you to lead a small group like Mary. And you're going, are you kidding me? Do you know where I'm at right now? And he says, just bring it to me. Just bring it to me and let me do my work. 